Zach Thompson is the Director of Sales Development for Emerging Markets and Expansion at Zoom Info, and he has about 120 SDRs rolling into him. In this conversation, Zach and I talk about how the data services space is evolving and how companies are starting to use data in their go-to-market strategies a lot differently. Zach also discusses the upcoming Zoom Info chat GPT integration and how it will benefit their customers by providing prioritization and allowing small organizations to operate like large enterprise companies. Additionally, Zach offers career advice and stresses the importance of building cross-functional relationships, being curious and managing up and out. Zach also shares what it's been like for Zoom Info and what their experience has been like transitioning their sales development team from remote work to hybrid work. The conversation also touches on how they have their SDRs broken into product-specific focuses and how they track and measure productivity and efficiency metrics such as pipeline per head and revenue per head. It's a very informative conversation. We get all the current and up-to-date stuff on Zoom Info and what's working at such a successful company like theirs. All right, Zach, thanks for meeting with me again. It's always a pleasure to sit down and talk with you about all things sales development and all things happening at Zoom Info. I really appreciate the relationship and the willingness to come on here and give us some insight from your from your experience. Um, the first question I want to hit you with is, I think, a relatively heavy one. You've been in the data information space for, what, pushing five years, over five years, and I know you from when you were at Discover Org and you've made your way up and through into Zoom Info and you've had a progressive career uh, where you've you know climbed the ranks in, in many ways. But what I want to understand is what you're seeing from a data information like market evolution standpoint. You've been in that area, hyper-focused with the best of the best for five years. A lot of companies, a lot of people are, are jumping and, and moving industries here or there and you've stuck in where in an, in an important field, I should say. So what are you seeing? Uh, from an evolution standpoint, well, how are things changing? Uh, what are, what should we expect? Yeah, it's a great question, and uh, yeah, thanks for for having me again. Always great to uh, to spend some time with you and, and talk shop. Um, yeah, so I've been in the in the data and information services space now just a hair over five years, and um, you know, data is sort of that that natural resource, kind of like crude oil, right? That every company is operating based on data. Every go-to-market team in the world is operating on data. And some of them are operating on good data. Some of them are operating on bad data. But whether you like it or not, you're right. operating on data. Even right. your Rolodex from way back when of people that you play golf with, that's data. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that piece hasn't changed. Like the importance and the, the just the critical element that data is to a go-to-market operating system, that hasn't changed. And we don't expect that to change. Like there's gotta be something that's fueling that. Um, What has changed is the granularity of data that go-to-market teams are using. What's changed is the way that companies are thinking about go-to-market through a data lens, right? It's not just, this is information for salespeople to know who to call and and how to get a hold of those people. It's not just information for marketers to know how to build uh, segments uh, and audiences for campaigns and, and digital activation and things like that. It's, you know, ICP modeling, it's total addressable market modeling. It's understanding customer behavior, understanding things like intent. Uh, and, and so many more of these things <clears throat> that used to be really sophisticated and, and only for, you know, the biggest and, and most well-resourced Go to market organizations out there. These things are now becoming table stakes, even for much smaller companies, mm. uh, much smaller go to market organizations. And um, so it, it's a higher level of granularity. It's more uh, data and different types of data that are being used. Um, you know, we, we think things like when firmographic data first became a, a big thing, and, right, and right. companies were using that to really understand their addressable market, and, and then technographics, right? Who can we actually sell to? Who has the right stack? Um, and that was kind of an evolution from the previous model, which was channel sales and, and partnerships, right? Where uh, hardware vendors had their partners on the software and integration side. Right. And that's sort of how you did business. But now we got these interoperable uh, in. inter- inter- uh, integrations and finding those where those, those energistic opportunities are. 100%. And then now we have technographic data. And now these software companies can come in and say, we actually don't really need the partnership. It's great to have and we'll still build that. But we actually don't need that to, to go directly to our market. We have the technographics, we understand who has the technologies that are required to be a fit for us. Um, and then using that for competitive displacement as well. If you are selling technology, where are my competitors, especially the weak ones that I know I can pick on and, uh, and displace relatively easily? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who just picked that technology up or who just dropped it? Um, you know, right. those are, those are big things. So um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of evolution happening around the the types of data and, and, you know, with, with so many people moving around too, like the contact information piece is still, you know, a cornerstone uh, for every sales organization, just knowing how to get in touch with people. Right. What's interesting now though, is there's um, more and more as time goes on. And I, and I know we're going to get into, you know, some AI stuff later, so I won't, uh, won't get too far ahead here, but that's okay. what's interesting is, is there's much more of, um, of a competition for attention now. It used to be, how do I get in front of somebody? And the okay. assumption was, if I get in front of Derek and I can sell the Derek, I got my shot, I, I can pitch. Now it's like, okay, I'm pretty confident I can get to Derek. I know where he is. I know what his phone number is. I know what his email is. I can serve ads to him. But how am I actually going to capture his attention? How am I going to hold his attention for more than a few seconds? Right, so the, right. the messaging... Um, the the strategy behind sort of top to bottom, how are we getting in front of our buyers and and what are we saying to them and when and how are we to deploy it? the data? It's like great you have it getting you pointing in the right direction, but how do you execute upon it? Exactly. And so, you know, the data again has just kind of become table stakes on a lot of cases. And now it's like, okay, how do I use that data to be competitive? That's where a lot of that evolution is happening. Well, uh, let, let's talk more about that. I mean, you, you queued it up perfectly. You talk about the the AI uh, part of it. I, I do want to understand what Zoom Info is doing from an AI perspective. Uh, it's it's good to see that the little guys basically can now start operating like the big, guy, uh, big guys. I like that you talked about this idea that it used to really just be large organizations that had access to this. And I think what we're talking about in that is the the concept of big data and business intelligence organizations that you normally would only find in larger companies, maybe late stage, mid-sized companies as well, that have a BI team that can ingest the disparate data into a data lake and then put that into something like a Tableau or some other you know power BI tool to visualize this stuff and really time the market and operationalize the data in all kinds of different ways that, that they might have to. But from a sales context, a marketing standpoint, it's really identifying high propensity opportunities that you know that you can execute on. But then it sounds like you're taking it the next mile with ingesting some strategy and some execution there. I think uh, I, I read a quote from Henry Shuck uh, recently. When this integration is complete, our customers will be able to use chat GPT to shorten call emails, cold emails, isolate a call to action from a sales call and much more. So I think he said the integration is designed to empower users to tell uh, the platform what they're looking for and to resurface the most relevant insights for their needs. So with you guys being the data company, let's be honest, in the market where where you compete, um, this is, seems like a really big change. Yeah, for sure. So we're talking about the the chat GPT integration that we have sort of announced. And, um, you know, there's a lot being built out there still. And um with all of the data that companies have, and we just talked about this, right, how you deploy that data is is so critical. And what the ChatGPT integration is going to do, one of the things it's going to do, among many things, is really help those companies that, um, whether they have an, an army of data scientists who can uh, operate on large amounts of data and make meaningful recommendations to go-to-market teams, um, it's going to allow the companies that don't have that to really level up and to be a lot more sophisticated and to sort of play and in in to, to be a much more, a much larger size uh, force than, than they think they are today with the resources that they have. And that's everything from, you know, salespeople being able to use ChatGPT and search functionality within the platform to understand what to look for in the first place to marketing teams being able to really zero in on, as you said, the highest propensity opportunities, the highest intent, highest behavior score, what have you, and really cut down on a lot of the noise. Because as more data comes in and as we get more and more granular with that data, one of the things that can happen and that we see happening is the teams get really overwhelmed. And then you have this sort of paradox of, well, we have all the data we want, but we're not actually getting anything from it. We're not really doing anything with it because it's it's overwhelming and there's just too much to look at. And so prioritization is is a place where that artificial intelligence is, is going to help sellers and help marketers and help go-to-market teams as a whole 
really understand like, where do I get the biggest bang for my buck right now? What should I focus on and what should I not focus on? What should I just not spend any time on at all or just put on the back burner for a while? And that type of insight, that type of recommendation really only used to come if, like I said, you had that army of data scientists and engineers and um, machine learning models and all of this infrastructure and all, all of this human capital on the back end. It's really expensive, really resource intensive. And you get some of these insights. And, and now what we're seeing is that's going to be a lot more accessible to a lot more of the market. And you know, it's going to take those companies that have smaller sales teams, smaller go-to-market orgs, and it's going to make them a lot more efficient and a lot more powerful with without going and, and investing tremendous amounts of, of capital, building out data science teams, building out business intelligence teams. Um, you know, Which you have a ton of, I would imagine. I mean, you guys have all the best in the world probably at your disposal, but I mean, now that that is being available to, I mean, aren't you a little worried that the smaller guys that are in your place are going to be able to use that to attack you as well? I mean, you are one of the, those big companies. Yeah. I mean, it, I, it's an interesting thought for sure. I, I don't, um, I, I'm not worried about it overall in terms of how it will affect, uh, you know, our ability to compete in the markets that we're in, because the, again, th these things are only as good as the data that fuels them. And sure. I think there's still always going to be somewhat of a, a competitive advantage for companies that are innovative and are, are constantly thinking about how to find those marginal efficiency gains and how they're going to market and understanding where to prioritize and spend their time. If we weren't drinking our own Kool-Aid here, if we were not behaving in that way, that right. certainly it would be a concern. Like, hey, we're going to sell this thing that makes people more efficient and shows them where to prioritize and we're not doing the same. Um, but you're doing but, it too. So you're, you're, you're accelerating at even faster rate as well. It sounds like. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds like it's a path to efficient growth, which is uh, the real concept. I know we talk a lot and you hear everyone saying more with less. It seems like it's just uh, everywhere, but efficient growth. And this is a, a path to that using, uh, but you know, is it available now at, at ZoomInfo? Is that functionality something that an existing ZoomInfo customer could tap into today or is there a roadmap here? Yeah, not uh, not available today. And I, I don't have a specific timeline here. I can promise uh, that will be live, but um, there's information out there. Henry Shuck, uh, our CEO, released a, a video and kind of a teaser of what that's going to look like. So I would encourage anyone that's interested uh, to, to take a look at that. Um, it's not something that's that's live today, but we're all really excited about it. And, right. you know, there are uh, there we have always used a lot of machine learning and, and artificial intelligence. Um, even going back to the discover org days, we used to describe our uh, our data collection and and uh, cleansing and keeping up to date processes the market as ready data in the loop mm -hmm. of uh, artificial intelligence. So we were kind of combining the best of the the research team, the data science team with the artificial intelligence that kind of allowed us to scale. Um, and so that concept is not new to us as a company at all. It's been integral to who we are and how we've operated, uh, at least in the five plus years that I've, I've been with the company. Um, so yeah, th this is sort of the, the next iteration of how we live that out and, and what that looks like. Well, I'm excited to see what you guys put together and what that looks like. Uh, you have a, obviously a large install base and, um, a lot of my customers use zoom info, so I'm sure they'll all be excited to tap into that new functionality once it's available. Um, I mentioned earlier at the start that you've been in this space for quite some time. You've had a progressive career. You don't you don't stick around at Zoom Info and companies like this for as long as you have and progress through the roles that you've held. You guys can go look at his LinkedIn profile, but he's moved up a few times. And you know these these things only happen when people are doing something right. So what do you attribute that progressive? career to? What can you share with someone who's maybe on a similar path, but a little behind you? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of really, really incredible people. And that's just a, a testament to how ZoomInfo operates and, and how much it values bringing on the best and the brightest and, and exposing uh, its talent to other really talented people and, and the talent development priority here and, and so many other things. But you know, if, if I had to sort of give some guidance to those who are, um, you know, on, on similar growth trajectories, one of the things that I really leaned into that I attribute a lot of this accelerated growth to is 
this unquenchable curiosity and asking tons of questions and just being unapologetic and shameless and ruthless when it comes to building relationships and, you know, learning different personas and, and different departments within the company and, and understanding how we operate and what matters to certain people, what drives them, what they're measured on. And that's, you know, a lot of people talk about going in and listening to calls from top sales performers, right? Or taking the top, you know, performers out to lunch and picking their brains. There's tons of value in that. Not right. saying that that's not something you should do. Yeah, that's important. But if that's where transfer. it ends. Mm-hmm. You know, you're missing out on a lot. So, like, take that same approach to every department in the company, even if it's a department or a group of people that you think has nothing to do with go to market. Go learn it anyway. Like, mm. it will it will benefit you at some point down the line. If for no other reason, then you will have relationships there. And there's the old saying: it's not what you know, it's who you know. Right. Um, right. You know, obviously the 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 data space as a whole is kind of a, against that idea of it's not who you it's not what you know it's who you know. Uh, it is absolutely about what you know, but I, I, we're still companies made up of people, and so the the relationships matter there, and, and opportunity exists in building those relationships and just having people having familiarity with who you are, um, especially as as your organization grows. I mean, when I when I joined, there were maybe four to 500 employees at discover org, uh, and maybe 30 to 40 SDRs. So, and to me at the time, that was a big company, uh, which is funny to think about now because we're, you know, 10 times that size. Um, and, but building those relationships early on and just that, that curiosity and that drive to really understand people and, uh, their roles and, and, and what they're measured on and, and how that uh, impacts how they make decisions, uh, that all informed a lot about how I sold to people uh, and how I coached my teams to sell to those personas. Um, and, and a lot of the opportunities that I've been afforded in, in my career here have come from familiarity with, with different people and, and from relationships that I've built. And, um, you know, not saying that it, it was me versus somebody else because of, of who I knew, But as the company is growing and there's more and more new faces around, when there's that familiarity, like people are are going to make decisions based off of that. They're going to think of you. Um, So there is very real tangible value in in people knowing who you are, uh, demonstrating your your work ethic and and being uh, being pleasant and easy to work with. Um, And that doesn't, by the way, just mean you're a pushover and that you say yes to everything. counterintuitively, actually, I I think it's a lot about knowing where to say yes and where to say no. And back to my point about prioritization and go to market orgs that applies in this, in this piece as well. Uh, Just knowing where you can make the most impact, um, knowing what you're good at and where you are, are bringing the most value and knowing where you need to partner with other departments, other people where you're not the best person at that thing. Uh, The quicker you can get to that point, the easier and the more pleasant you are to work with and the more perceived value you're bringing to the table. Because when they think of Zach Thompson, they're not just thinking of Zach Thompson, they're thinking of Zach Thompson and the network of people that Zach Thompson knows and can bring to the table to solve whatever problems we need to solve or to unlock whatever opportunity we're trying to unlock. Wow. Wow. That is multifaceted in so many ways. I'm, I'm listening to you talk and I'm firing on all kinds of different angles to this. You know, I think about the employee that you've helped influence their career because of those relationships that you established, where you've been able to help bridge those promotions or campaign for someone's growth in, within the organization, you know, because you had those relationships, right? So that's, you know, if I'm going to work for Zach Thompson, that's what's in it for me from that perspective. I imagine there's a, a break fix component, like you were kind of talking about, even if it's in another department like IT that has nothing to do with go to market, you know, directly, but being able to go to, business intelligence, even for as an example, and be able to access those special requests so that you can solve complicated problems for your team and accelerate their trajectory, if you will. So there's that break fix with through those relationships. Um, and then you had mentioned the, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I'll add to that. And I, I, I say this a lot. It's not what you know. It's not also, you know, who you know, but who knows what you do. And mm-hmm. so when you think about people coming to you to help solve a problem, right? And I, you, you mentioned to me offline that uh, often other organizations, other departments, whether it's go to market or not, will reach out to you because a client is facing a particular issue that maybe doesn't 
directly tie into Zoom info as like a customer success issue, but more of like strategy around deploying sales development and uh, improving sales development strategies and these sorts of things. They'll come to you as a, sort of a consulting complex. So that is another thing about these, these networks. But the thing that really, I think, stands out is as we progress in our careers, that's the thing that makes or breaks us in our trajectory, I've found uh, firsthand, both in a positive and in a negative way, where I've had I've struggled in times to create uh, cross-functional relationships and get that alignment that you're talking about truly. You know, we, we're working well together, but for whatever reason, we're, it's not gelling 100%. And so that makes it difficult for you to progress to that next step. So when you get into a director role, a senior management role, it is really all about that ability to create cross-functional alignment because when it does click where I've seen it work well and you have that, there, everything flows. Um, and that's the, that's the competitive advantage that an organization or a team can really have is that level of alignment that you have within the business. So, you know, you're not just talking about your own advancement in, in this. You're talking about how the business succeeds based on that as well, right? Most definitely. Yeah. Like we are, we're a team, we're a unit and everyone plays a critical role. And if everyone on the team is the best in the business at that role, you've got right. the best possible team. Like if I'm the best at what I do, but I'm on a team and there's pe other people on the team that are not the best at what they do, we don't have the best team there. Um, we might be able to, to, to compete for sure, but that's very much our philosophy is let's bring in and let's develop our people to be the absolute best at what they do and to play those roles. And, and everyone sort of has a stake in, in everything that's going on. It's not just like, okay, Zach's the stakeholder for sales development and nobody else cares about sales development. Marketing cares about sales development and, and sales development cares about marketing and we're working together on these things. So we all have sort of that ownership stake uh, and some skin in the game there. Um, and, you know, so learning to manage up, learning to manage out, those are, those are really, really valuable skills. Um, a lot of newer managers that I, that I talk to and, and, uh, who I work with, they're so focused on managing down and right. being amazing at coaching and developing their reps. Right. And Which is important. It's important, but it's the job. Yes, it, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a part of it. Yeah, for sure. But when you start to think about, you know, your trajectory and your growth, being able to manage up and manage out, that's what that's what senior leaders are looking for in you to demonstrate that you are ready to move into a senior leadership position, to take on multiple teams at the same time, to start being responsible for not just individual contributors, but other leaders and your ability to solve uh, increasingly complex problems, right? Um, you have to be able to manage out. The expectation isn't, oh, Zach's going to go solve that because Zach's Einstein smart and knows everything. It's not that at all. In fact, most of the time, like I'm the dumbest guy in the room. But what I know is where well, you're in the right room. That's value. how you know you're in the right room, right? Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. And 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 I know I have partnerships and relationships with people who are really good at the things that I'm not good at, and so that opens up this whole new world of what's possible. And there's a confidence that comes with that. That's mm -hmm. like, we have this big challenging problem in front of us and there's not a lot of direction on how to solve it. And it's kind of uncharted territory, but it's not intimidating anymore when you have that. The uh, best brains know. in the business around you, putting together, putting their egos aside and really working in the same, rowing in the same direction as they say to solve that Absolutely. complex problem. Yeah. And I love the talent development point from that standpoint, right? And the curiosity that you pointed out, those are what that curiosity piece is really important. Because another thing about new leaders or leaders in general is, you know, they're, they're, the ego can get in the way. Yeah? And uh, again, keeping it 100 here, I would be lying if I said my ego hasn't gotten in the way at times. Totally. So it's, it's, a, it's an important piece in order so you can be in that room and learn those things in a curious, you know, mode and deploy it to solve problems, either individually, you know, within your one-on-one coaching, because your coaching is going to be bolstered. So if you are managing down, they'll be better at managing down if you are managing up and out. Totally. Yep. Very good. Well, you mentioned the teaming dynamic, transitioning once again. Um, talk about the teaming dynamic at Zoom Info. I know you've moved from remote to a hybrid model within the sales development organization. And this seems to be a trend within larger, large organizations. Still, a lot of companies that I see that are have a they're smaller early stage uh, are still having a lot of remote SDR teams. So, I, I, but they're probably toying with that idea, right? So, what were you facing? 
what's been the impact since making that change? Are you complete? Are you done with the change? Like, can you give us an update of, you know, how moving from remote to hybrid has changed your sales development organization? Totally. I'll even back up a step from the remote piece. So prior to uh, 2020, we had effectively zero remote work in the company. We were completely in office full-time five days a week. And that was every department. It wasn't just sales development. COVID rolls around. And so it wasn't necessarily a, a choice that the business made. Like, we think this is the right thing to do. It was more like, this is what's happening in the world and we're going to react. And we found, hey, we were able to, to do pretty well um, being remote, but we kept a really close eye on some things that started coming up and some things we felt like were missing and hmm. some of the new and unique challenges around onboarding in a, in a completely virtual environment. Um, to right. developing talent over time in a completely virtual environment. And so it's still very much uh, in progress for us. You know, we have gone back to, by and large, um, you know, one day in the office, two days in the office, and and uh, we're keeping a close eye on the, the benefits that we're seeing from doing that. And, and some of those things really are unique to sales development, I think. So I, I'm certainly not speaking for sales teams as a whole or other departments, but I think there are some things about sales development uh, and, and maybe this would apply to certain other departments and, and job functions as well. But generally speaking, we're often dealing with a lot of people who are either in their, their first ever job or they're, they're, they're new in their professional career, they're younger. Um, and there is so much value in peer-to-peer -peer contact and so many things that when you're on a sales floor and there's people around you making calls, you just sort of pick up through osmosis as you're, you know, typing an email to somebody, maybe, but you hear somebody next to you that's on a call that says something that's a yeah. great line. It's so hard to measure the difference here. Like, yeah, that those little things, but happen, it's multiplied by number of people you have and the Absolutely. time that you spend together. And it's just an exponential advantage when you have people i'm sorry working together in an office the office i've said this in other interviews is like the number one innovator tool innovation tool i should say uh for organizations if you want people to grow faster in their you know positions and their in their own uh function uh if you want everything to hum i mean I, yes remote works we proved that we can do it remote but we can do it a lot better it sounds like when we're, when we're together Totally. Yeah. The, the learning component, just as I, I look out over our, our sales floor now and see SDRs that are talking to one another and, and some on calls and just the collaboration that happens there, that can happen in a virtual environment, certainly. But if you think about what it takes to get a certain level of output around collaboration, there's an intentionality that has to be there when you're in a, a virtual setting. Like you have to schedule it. It's very much planned ahead of time. And um, so oftentimes it will feel resource constrained in, in terms of there's only so many hours in the day and, and we're going to spend, you know, 30 minutes or an hour on this zoom call with everybody. Whereas here, it's like, we're going to be here for eight hours and that it's just going to happen here and there. And we don't have to necessarily carve out. And there's still value in having the team call reviews and, and things like that, that are scheduled and are very intentional. So not, not saying that it's just like throw caution to the wind at all, but right, 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 right. it's in addition to. Right. We get we have the scheduled call reviews and all that kind of stuff. But we also even when we're not trying to do it, we just have all this this learning and collaboration happening. Micro doses. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you said, that, you know, that builds exponentially over time. And the exactly. more people you have, the more perspectives you have. There's also a camaraderie uh, aspect to all of this as well, right? Like sales development is not an easy job. I, I don't think anybody out there right. in their right mind, at least, would say like, yeah, sales development's super easy. I mean, would you rather be in the trenches taking shots alone or would you rather be in the trenches taking shots with your comrades around you? You know, it's totally. Yeah. yeah like the, the getting hung up on, the getting cursed exactly. out, like that stuff sucks. It sucks when you're in the office. It sucks when you're at home by yourself. But, but then when you, when you have a, when you, something good happens too, when you, when you, because the you know, you always hear about people who duck into conference rooms and want to hide out when they're making calls, but then there's the the opposite when there's people on the floor making calls and they they're dropping bars. They're just they're bringing fire. You're on that call, and everybody around them kind of stops in awe and like, wow, wait, are you hearing this? Yeah. And then they, you know, they celebrate these calls. And then what happens when you're at home in the office and that happens? I mean, unless someone's like real time recording your call and then sharing it on Slack and saying, go listen to this call, which is still after the fact. I mean, 
yeah, the camaraderie is just bolstered. Again, it's multiplied. It's exponential. Yeah, it's it's the mood lifter. It's the energizer. It gets people fired up to to make that next call and to you know it's it's three o'clock we're in that afternoon lull right, right. and somebody hears that and it's like i'm it, it's for rally and for me let's go you <laughs> let's just go. you know when you're listening to like a chorus recording or a or a a, a recording of some sort like there's still value in that but yeah. you're not going to get that same mood booster and seeing everybody else around you and there's just the, like the tide is rising and everybody's going up it's a vibe it's a vibe yeah, so uh what's the team say though like i because you know there's a lot of resistance we know when people are remote to going hybrid, especially if like there's an organizational shift or people have you know to move to, to appease this. But point being, after the fact, you've you've brought people in on a partial hybrid basis. So are people now keeping it real with you and saying, "Wow, I'm actually enjoying this. I'm getting a lot of value of this," or they're still seeing a lot of resistance to it? Like, what are what are the SDRs saying? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, and again, as I just look out on the on the sales floor here, and I see the energy, and I see people smiling, and like I, I think that speaks for itself, and that people are are happy to be back. And and I have heard that feedback explicitly, um, especially when we first started coming back in. You know, a couple of months ago, um, it was like I just didn't even didn't even register how great it was going to be to just see people again during the workday. And what that feels like, and and sometimes that can be hard to describe, and and there's definitely some intangibles uh, around that because it's 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 a feeling. Um, but yeah, I have also yeah. heard that feedback very explicitly from SDRs. Like it's so much easier to to stay productive. There's a level of accountability that's built into that too. Like it's really easy when you're you're at home, right, and you don't have somebody that's looking over your shoulder, uh, whether it's a manager or peers or whoever. Right. It's easy to be a little less productive and and to slip into um, you know those periods where you're not getting a whole lot done, you're not growing, you're not you're not pushing yourself to be better, you're not doing the basic things you need to be right. doing. Well, that, you know, I, I would add to that though. You know, some I think people hear that a lot of times and they think, and I I can say this is definitely a, a version of that where people are kind of pulling off the productivity is going down because we're not doing anything like they're um taking naps or sleeping in they're walking the dogs there I mean, but i think it's more of the the latter of like doing too much when we're working from home now we trying to take on so much more right we have the cable guy the plumber coming in we have the you know the kids are at home now with us obviously we're trying to juggle our appointments we'll all just dip out real quick and go to a doctor's appointment you know these it's the added stuff that we take on working from home that I feel like some as someone who works from home that I have to try and manage, you know, instead of trying to juggle so much because I'm at home, I need to actually focus and act as if I had just drove 45 minutes outside of my zone to, to, so yeah, you're right. The level of discipline is, it, it takes a certain, a certain person to do it effectively. And people who've been doing it for a long time, like myself, still struggle with it. So I can only imagine that it's, so even if people are not saying it, part of them is in that office saying, damn, I'm glad I'm here and I'm not alone. Even if they're not filling out surveys and raising their hand and telling you, I, I bet that they, people feel like that. Totally. I mean, you can see it. Like I said, it, it kind of speaks for itself, the body language, the 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 verbal and nonverbal stuff like you can you can see it. And, you know, I'm not so naive as as to say there are not people out there who are more productive when they work from home. Um, if there's any uh, ADD, ADHD folks who are in the audience for this podcast, and, and I am one of you, by the way, um, you know, I that that is something that I have to manage when I'm in the office much more than when I'm at home. I have to manage it when I'm at home too, but it's different stuff. So when I'm in the office, it's a lot more just like I get distracted by people walking by, you know, my office all day long or, or popping in to say hello. And there's nice, value yeah. in that. There's a there's a social component, the team building component, you know, so it, it's not entirely a, a negative thing. But the um, deep work are... becomes more difficult. You're, I, I agree totally. with you. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Especially so, if it looks like I can barely see in the corner there that you have maybe a little open work environment, too. So for those that are on the floor, the idea of parking two hours, let me do some deep research, some deep focus work that, yeah, that, that, that's definitely a, a challenging when you're out in the open, unless you're like, put a sign up and say, do not disturb, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, we always tease certain people on the team, of course, who are just kind of notorious for, uh, and, you know, you think back to grade school, you had the class clown and the chatterboxes, like, right. yeah. on your sales teams, too, except that wasn't me at all. The people are, are that. So, yeah, we always tease some people, like, we're gonna have to put a sign on your back, like, please don't talk to me, I, I don't uh, focus well, or, or what have you. But, you know, we also do a good job of providing space for people to have the focus that they need and encouraging them, like, yes, we have an open, an open space here, and we want you to be making calls at your desk but also like if you need to go into a, a call room for an hour because you're just in the zone like that's okay too if that's gonna if that's what you need to do Fair. um Fair. and so we just we try to understand how everyone works and and blend okay we expect you to do a lot of this in public and to learn in public so you know we're not going to have you making all your calls in private that's not going to be a thing here um but there will be times where you can go into a room and just blitz for an hour if that's what you need to do if you block out all the distractions and- i love that balance that you 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 put there you know that's not going to be the norm but if you need to you know uh pull an audible here or there it's all good we have the blended work environment where you can make that happen absolutely very good, very good. well what else is working at, at zoom info uh we talked offline about a particular problem that you're trying to crack right now and you're still working through the chalkboard of what that formula looks like I think but you're making progress so uh, for those that don't know what the hell I'm talking about uh, product specialized SDRs so you have four quadrants of products that your your organization focuses on all your stuff falls into those four quadrants and so SDRs are assigned to one of those quadrants and this presents a whole new way of SDR go to market motion and to to understand what someone uh, an organization at your caliber is doing with this is going to be very insightful I would imagine so what can you share what, how much of the formula do you have figured out so far what have you come across and what what's working well what's not for sure so in short, what do we know? We know that specialization works. We know that specialization drives results. And we know that specialization is, that's that's the way we're going. Um, you know, it, it's very difficult to have somebody who can be, um, it, it goes back to the old cliche phrase, the jack of all trades, master of none, right? right? So yeah. specialization around, and this is possible for us because in a lot of cases, we're selling different products to different personas. Um, and historically, when we were selling uh, direct dial phone numbers and org charts as Discover Org, we were talking to salespeople predominantly and a little bit of marketing. And then marketing started to become more of that mix. And as we started acquiring companies, now we're selling a talent platform. We're not selling that to salespeople. Typically, we're selling it to HR and talent teams. So um, specializing around the, the personas that we sell to and allowing people and enabling people to become experts in, as I was talking about earlier, who those people are, what are they measured on, what makes them tick, what are their challenges, what do they run into, what keeps them awake at night, what makes them look like a superhero in their company when they accomplish it. And um, so we're building teams that are, are, are specializing in products and personas, and, and those two things go hand in hand. So it's not just knowing, knowing the product quadrant that you are in uh, better than, than anyone else. Right. You it's would think that's that. like the focus. It's like, well, I just, I, I study this area. I know this product really well. I know these pain points really well. And that's kind of the, the advantage of going specialized, but there's more to it. It sounds like. Absolutely. I mean, we, we take a consultative approach, which I hope the audience of this podcast will, will appreciate. Um, and, and being a consultant is a lot more than knowing the product and knowing the solutions. It's knowing it's knowing the full context. It's knowing why you're reaching out. It's knowing what things you might be able to solve and what things you absolutely are not going to be able to solve. Uh, it, it's it's building credibility. Um it's it's understanding what your persona responds to positively and, and negatively. And um, so there's a, there's a lot of creativity, too, that comes with that. And, and we're able to experiment with different things in, in different places with personas and uh, market segments and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, products are working well. I mean, are you guys seeing so how what was the before and after? Like, when did this shift happen? And is it are you seeing lift from it? Yeah, uh, the the shift really happened. I would say um, 
mid to late 2021 and into 2022 is kind of when we really established that it was, okay. it was 2022 when we officially launched the here's our, our sales operating system, marketing operating system, talent operating system and operations operating system. Okay. Um, and so we've had varying levels of, of specialization through that time, but I would say really in, in early 2022 is when we kind of fully launched that. Um, and it's worked well. It's true. So, were your, did you launch your SDRs at the same time, though? That doesn't, you you had the four quadrants from a go to market standpoint, from a product focus, but were your SDRs also aligned to that or did that come later? Uh, it was kind of uh, in, in phased approaches. So, it wasn't a full like, okay, we're, we're launching these four operating systems and now we're also launching four SDR teams. So, that, that was um, done in, in iterations over time and really still is evolving to this day. Um, you know, there's, there's elements that we're thinking about in the part of the business that I work in with, with our install base, it's understanding the, the impact that SDRs can make on renewal rates and, and net retention as a whole. It's understanding, uh, how our upsell motions are structured and, and really deploying SDRs, not just in product specializations, but we're also starting to think about outcome specializations. So hmm. typically a company's think in a very linear fashion. SDRs are this top of funnel, front of funnel operator, however you right, want to think about right. it. Mm -hmm. And their job is to book meetings that turn into pipeline, that turn into revenue. And that's right. still true. But we got to start to think about like what type of pipeline are we talking about? And as a as a company and an organization grows, particularly recurring revenue model companies, mm -hmm. you have this install base that you are trying to retain and grow. So which is another important pillar in efficient growth. Exactly. Okay. So we start Fun. to think about those things as connected, but as separate, instead of assuming that they're just always going to be tied together. And so we're seeing some goodness too, and just uh, being able to strategize where we're deploying resources, where we're spending marketing dollars, where we're deploying SDRs, and where we're spending our calling and emailing activity and, and efforts uh, around, you know, outcomes uh, for the business as a whole. And, and again, understanding that the, the retention and the growth is connected. Right. There's a relationship there, but it's not always the the same thing. And you can't always take that linear approach to just having SDRs that are focused entirely on one or or focused on both when realistically they're they're not focused on either one and, and not optimized mm -hmm. for either one. So that it'll it allows us to really optimize for uh, the the overall results that we want, but the the individual components of that. And, and we're seeing a lot of success with that. It also presents a lot of interesting challenges, uh, things like rules of engagement and right. swim lanes, right? <laughs> Even yeah. back to the four operating systems, like as a company, the perfect outcome for us is we sell every single product we have to every single company out there. Like that's not reality though. Uh, and when you have teams internally that are, that are competing with each other, at the same time, they're competing with all of the competitor products and other companies that are out there right. that were the real co competitors. Yeah. It's like, so, okay, this is not productive. Um, so there's been a lot of unique challenges that, that we've had to think through and where we're deploying, who gets the right of way. Um, Cause you and, have four SDRs to each account effectively now. Is that right? Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. In, in a lot of cases. Yeah. Oh, there if there's be. a fit based on whatever. Yeah. Okay. So, totally. mm-hmm. And then on top of that, right, think about the retention versus growth. We might even have somebody that's a, a retention-focused SDR on that account and a growth-focused SDR on that account. So we have to start thinking about a timing Layers. aspect of mm -hmm. where that customer is in the customer journey. And is this upsell territory or is it retention territory? And so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different combinations of mm -hmm. how that can look. And so keeping a, a delightful customer experience in mind, obviously we don't want to absolutely bombard our customers with outreach from several different teams. It's not effective. It's frustrating. It's confusing right. for the, for the customer. Yeah, you're crossing basically. wires. That's what we always worry about is that we'll, you know, we'll, don't you know, Zach's already reaching out to me. What are you calling me for Derek? Totally. And then it can lead to over time as well, this feeling of like, every time I hear from zoom info, like uh, it's just it's a different person. And it's a different person and the hand's always out. And it's just like, so that, that that's very much the world that I live in is trying to find that balance between hitting very aggressive growth goals and, and understanding that we are truly reaching out because we believe that we have value to share and we can help drive better outcomes. In a consultative manner, like you said. Yep. Absolutely. So, you know, understanding that piece of it, but also 
balancing that against, we have to be realistic and we have to understand that we're people talking to other people and that, you know, there are ways that we can go about things that will cause more harm than good. Um, And so really there's been a premium around figuring out that perfect mix of the number of touch points, the, the number of people that can be sort of working an account at a given time. Um, And that varies some segment to segment too, right? That that's going to look a little different in in an SMB team than it will in an enterprise or strategic team Mm -hmm. uh, that has several different business units that operate almost as independent companies. Um, I won't say there's less risk in, in that area, but it's, it's different and it's spread out a little bit more. So generally like it's a, it's a little bit, we have a little bit more room to work there without crossing wires and without being concerned that we're going to start working against ourselves. As we move down market, it's, it's, you have to think about that a lot differently. Um, so yeah, we've seen a lot of good results. Uh, and, and I, I think specialization is, is a, is a good thing. Um, you get people who, who can be a lot more consultative rather than just like, okay, I know enough about each of our products to, to get by. Um, that, that's not really what we want. We want to, we want to solve problems for our customers. We want to unlock opportunities for our customers. And that comes from a consultative approach. And that consultative approach requires that we build uh, that credibility and that trust with our customers. And that comes from expertise in the domain and the space. Um, so it, it's absolutely something we are continuing to iterate on and, and get better at. And uh, it, it's a fun problem set to, to solve right. and to be in the middle of every day. Um, there's well, I'm glad you said on. that because it's a complicated problem. And so... You mentioned earlier about thinking about sales development differently and what we measure not being so linear. So this is what we're up against is if we want to think differently, we have to be thinking about how we can measure and manage these more complicated scenarios or situations, whatever you want to call it. Um, So that's kind of where you're spending your time, it sounds like, is on one hand, you're refereeing these uh, intersections between the four quadrants and those different layers of teams, because it's not just the product specialization, like you mentioned, it's also where they are in the buyer's journey, because you have specialized roles within your organization on that front too, like you represent that. Um, So outside of the refereeing, how are you measuring in this? Is this, uh, are you using that BI team? Are you using AI? I mean, how are you being able to factor in these other not so direct, tangible metrics. No doubt. That's a a huge part of understanding if this is successful or not. It's not about how I feel or how anybody else feels about it. We have to be really clear on what are we measuring? How are we measuring it? And how are we interpreting the results? Like what does good look like? What is data driven, right? Absolutely. Data driven, everything we do. So if we can't measure it, doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Um, So there's an interesting set of challenges that come with that too in thinking through new things to measure, right? We're not always just thinking about conversion rate of lead to demo to opportunity to to revenue, your traditional funnels. Um, We're starting to think a lot about productivity metrics and efficiency Hmm. metrics. And that's a hot hot topic right now too with the macro economy and doing- Efficient growth, efficient growth, exactly. (laughs) Um, Understanding your your unit economics is something that we talk a lot internally about uh, in sales development. How much revenue are we generating per per head? How much pipeline are we generating per head? Uh, And then starting to break that down across the different specializations and and even thinking about retention dollars uh, per head versus upsell dollars per head. That's a great example of, these are new things that we're starting to measure. And, and this is what you mean by productivity that. metrics? Is, is that these are the components of that that are some of the building blocks? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, yeah, and this goes back to managing up and managing out, right? These are not things, I, I'm not the, the BI wizard here, but we have great partnerships with other teams that are helping us measure these things and helping us establish the baselines and, and helping us interpret right. the data that we're seeing. Um, and, and, you know, another area where I spend a lot of my time right now, which is, both really fun and really frustrating at the same time is, you know, what I see happening out on the sales floor and in the business as a director across an org of, you know, I'm responsible for about 120 SDRs. What, what I see and what I hear from the, the leaders that are responsible for those teams doesn't always line up with what I'm seeing in the data. And mm-hmm. finding the balance between pushing back on that and saying like the data is wrong because I feel like it's wrong because of what I'm hearing and, and, right. and also just understanding like sometimes the data is 
right. Usually the data is right. Um, and usually when we have the, the data that's wrong, it's that we've measured something incorrectly or we've defined something incorrectly. So living in that it's space, an exception. Kind of mm -hmm. finding, you know, does this, does this seem consistent with what I'm seeing and, and what feedback I'm hearing from the SDRs and from customers and, and like, is all of that lining up in a narrative that makes sense? And, and if it's not like, where's the broken link? Um, and so there's, a, there's, I spend a lot of time in, in that space right now. And, you know, being data driven is, is not as, as easy and as simple as it, it sounds. It sounds really good. Right. But there's a lot of rolling up the sleeves it's messy. that's involved. Yeah. It's a dirty job. Exactly. If, if you exactly. uh, think back to the old show with, with micro dirty jobs with micro, I feel like right. uh, being data driven in your decisions is very much uh, a dirty job. Well, uh, dirty data don't help. Uh, but when you do have good data, data don't lie. Right. That's right. So uh, good. This has been awesome, man. Thank you. I know we're uh, at the bottom of the hour and you probably have meetings to get to. Where do you want to send people to connect with you to learn more about Zoom Info? I'm sure they can go to your website, but anything you would leave them with. Yeah. Um, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my email is first.last at zoominfo.com, zachary.thompson at zoominfo.com. Um, pretty, pretty easy to track down. Uh, feel free to, to jump on our website. As I said before, on the chat GPT integration, there's a video floating around on LinkedIn that, uh, that Henry we'll drop it in the show notes for sure. released. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so there, there's tons of, tons of resources out there, but feel free to reach out direct. Um, I do love meeting with sales development leaders and, and sales development orgs, whether you are launching a team for the first time, whether you're scaling a team, whether you're in a position right now where you are facing a, a headcount cut and you're like, how are we going to do what we need to do with half More of the heads that we had yeah. before? I mean, yeah. SDRs are not cheap. That sales development is not a cheap uh, part of the business to operate. Um, so happy to, to share thoughts and, and uh, help build the community up as a whole. So Derek, always a pleasure. Uh, love catching up and talking shop, like I said before, and um, looking forward to, to conversations that come out of, of the audience listening to this. And I mean, I still have people who interview with me who said, I listened to your 10 bound podcast with Derek Williams and nice. uh, people who I've hired as, as a result of, of listening to the podcast. So always love these opportunities cool. and um, yeah, great to, uh, to catch up. You've been listening to the sales consultant podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple podcast and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.